This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at myhealthpolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at myhealthpolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for. And done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called myhealthpolicy.com and done. Switch to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to myhealthpolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates myhealthpolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk sandwich. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Samson Folk, and today I'm joined by Michael Pina, who is covering the league at large, the whole thing for SB Nation. Michael, how are you doing? Good, Sam. How are you, man? Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, trying to enjoy the weather, trying to enjoy the Raptors' very fast turnaround of the series on Orlando. Not as much anxiety anymore. It's a lot better for the heart rate. And uh, yeah, just trying to enjoy it going forward. You said you're in Brooklyn. What are you doing there? Uh, living. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, moved here a couple of years ago and uh, I've been covering the uh nets Sixers series over the past couple weeks which has been nice uh doesn't look like we're gonna get another game in brooklyn most likely so uh unless there's a miracle so um so the nba will be out of new york city uh uh pretty soon but uh i'm excited to talk about uh raptors and and everything else you want to cover man yeah, sure. Uh, before we get into any type of Raptors things, uh, do you have a Cliff Notes? I, I know most people who watch the NBA, like they, they try and watch most of the playoffs, but is there a Cliff Notes version that you would describe the Nets Sixer series as? Hmm, uh, that's a good question. I mean, it's it's physical, obviously. There's been There was an ejection in Game 4 with Jimmy Butler and Jared Dudley. There's been some trash-talking between Dudley and Ben Simmons in the, uh, in the, through the media. Um, and then I, I think, you know, in terms of just basketball, a uh, big picture, I think that, you know, Joel Embiid's knee and uh, the soreness that he's felt uh, in his left knee for the past few months and how that impacts Philadelphia's ability to make a legitimate title run here and then going forward is, is obviously fascinating and relevant and, and could impact the league at large. So that's, that's the, big, the big takeaway so far. And so I guess we'll get into like the one little piece of it. Jared, how he's inserted himself into you know, this, this crazy little, I guess, just development in the series. What's your takeaway on that? Is this something you might have expected, a Ben Simmons-Jared Dudley beef, or is it just this is the best thing to come out of it? It is not what I expected heading in. I can't. I cannot lie to you, Sam. But um, it's it's fun. I think you know Dudley is a 
Dudley and Simmons are very different in their public personas, and I think, and just how they present themselves. You know, Dudley loves talking. He loves attention. He loves... Uh, he loves conversing with the media on these tangents and monologues, and he's great like that. Um, and Simmons is a lot more tight-lipped, and you know his answers are very clipped, um, and he does not like to open up. And one guy is, you know, over ten years older than the other, and it's just it's it. One guy is one of the most ath- athletic players the league has ever seen, and the other guy is, uh, you know, you would <laughs> probably expect to see him at, at the YMCA uh, next weekend potentially. So, um, it's it's a fascinating contrast, and it's been really fun to watch. Yeah, the the juxtaposition of Ben Simmons' just unbelievable talent mixed with you know. Uh, Jared Dudley's intellect and very try-hard attitude is—it's fascinating that those two ended up beefing. Uh, you just—you never would have pictured it. I would have assumed it would have been Joel Embiid with somebody. Uh, so, is are are you are you allegiant to uh, the Brooklyn Nets? Is that your team since you live there? No, no, not at all. I grew up in uh, in Boston, actually. So. Um... I grew up a Celtics fan since I've covered the league. It's really difficult for me to extract myself emotionally from the outcomes of, of their playoff series. But, uh, you know, I, I try to stay as objective as possible. And I think I do a decent enough job, although, uh, you know, the, there's a lot of Raptors fans in my mentions regularly uh, <laughs> who, who are well aware of my my uh, my fandom for, for Boston sports. So, um yeah, I try to keep it as as fair as possible, but I do. If I do, if I had to, obviously pick one team um, that I actually uh, have an emotional investment in, it would it would be the Celtics. I'd have to say. Okay, so I have two questions for you, and then we'll hop into the Orlando and uh, Toronto series. First question, you can answer them right back to back. First question: D'Angelo Russell or Karis LeVert going forward? Who do you want to have more possessions as a creator? And second question, would you draft Brad Stevens before Giannis? Feel free to answer however you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I said, I said I'll answer the second one first. I, I said that I'll, I try to be as objective as possible, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to have to go with Giannis on that one, and I think, I think everyone <laughs> in the Celtics organization would say the same thing, and I think Brad Stevens would also say the same thing. Uh, 10 times out of 10. Um, the first question, I think, is a lot more interesting. And personally, I would go with I would go with Karis LeVert, who despite, you know, Russell has had a tremendous season, obviously, and he's a most improved player candidate. Um, I covered him his rookie year in L.A. when I lived out there. And, the, you know, he's made leaps and bounds, I think, as a human being uh, in terms of just his maturity level as much as he has his game and his, and his, his overall impact uh, on, on offense. So, uh, but, you know, Karis LeVert, before he was injured, he was the all-star on this team. And uh, I, I think he would have actually made the all-star team had he not hurt himself over D'Angelo Russell. And, you know, there's some people I talk to who prefer Spencer Dinwiddie over Russell as a basketball player. And, um, you know, I I disagree there. But I I like Karras because, uh, you know, D'Lo obviously has the pull-up three, which is very enticing and attractive. But Karras... Karras, I think, will develop that as his game goes on. He's not afraid to be a high-volume shooter, but he's also someone who can really get to the basket. He's so crafty on drives and uh, has the potential to be someone who can live at the free-throw line a little bit as his as his uh, frame kind of builds out a little as he ages. And uh, in terms of you know seeing the floor, D, I, think, I think Russell is elite at that. It's, it's one of his best skills. But Karis LeVert is a very good playmaker in his own right. And he's also not a total uh, sieve defensively, which you know Russell is not a very good defender um, and kind of a weak point in their, their team defense. So uh, yeah, I would go with Karis. It's, it's by not the, the the greatest margin, but I 
I think that he'll have probably the better career going forward. And uh, right now, even in this particular matchup, uh, I like him. For, it, I like him, uh, you know, as the pl- primary playmaking uh, force on this team. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Karis Levert. I think he's one of the shiftiest guys, like across the whole NBA. And whereas, like you alluded to, D'Angelo Russell is very creative passing the ball, probably a bit more creative passing the ball, um, more creative than uh, Karis Levert. But Levert, as far as creating his own, he's got a lot more in his package. And I liked Dinwiddie a lot, too. Uh, mm-hmm. The quartet of uh, Levert, Russell, Harris, and Dinwiddie is very fun. Very fun backcourt. That's have been awesome to watch this year. And, uh, yeah, I guess I would also pick Giannis over uh, Brad Stevens. <laughs> just, <laughs> I just sneak that one in. So uh, let's, let's get into the Magic Raptors. Obviously, there are, uh, most people were aware that DJ Augustine banged in the triple to win game one over the Raptors. The two-seed with Kawhi Leonard and Marcus Gasol in tow. What was your initial reaction, knowing the history of the Raptors of the past five years, hearing, or maybe you watched that game, tell me, what's, what's the response when the Raptors go down in game one? Yeah, I mean, I watched that game live. Uh, it was a great game. And as you said, you know, Toronto's game one performances are the stuff of lore. And no matter how favored they are, it's it, it, it it's kind of thrown out the window uh, in terms of just how I don't really know what happens to them in these games. Game one's a playoff series at home, um, but it, it happened again in that one. I mean, I wasn't too concerned all in all in, in their ability to, to win the series. It didn't really impact uh, my calculus and that at all, but um, it was interesting to see for sure. And, and, you know, DJ Augustine hit some, it was probably the game of his life. He had some ridiculous shots The the game winner was this weird defensive miscommunication between Kawhi and, and Marcus Gasol, a play that I've watched a few times since it happened. And, uh, you know, I just don't think that that is replicable in a lot of different ways. And I think, you know, since, that has happened. Toronto's, you know, defensively and offensively has gone up a notch, particularly Kawhi Leonard, uh, who's and and you know Pascal Siakam. Those two guys have just had such tremendous series uh, in lifting Toronto to what I think is going to be a five-game win in advancement. Um, but yeah, that 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 play was it was it was surprising in the, in the, in the sense that I did not expect Orlando to be that competitive in this series and. But once it fell through, it was just, you know, that's just how things are with the Toronto Raptors in game one of just about any series they've ever played in. <laughs> yeah. When I saw Kawhi Leonard switch out onto Augustine, for the first time in the whole game above the break on the last possession, I was kind of freaking out. Even though Kawhi is, you know, a former defensive player of the year, I was like, why? What? Like, you got to leave Danny there. They had... DJ Augustine locked the whole second half until he hit that three. He'd only scored three points. And then all of a sudden, guess what? Uh, Kawhi started going with the role man as Gasol was too. And then he just walked in a three-pointer. That Oh, man. As a Raptors fan, I can hardly express to you how crazy it is to watch those games. Is there anything, I guess like you were saying, it didn't affect like, your calculus, like your take on how this series would actually pan out? But are there anything, like, what's the wider view for you looking at this series, the big things that stand out to you that have happened? Uh, I think one, and and I think the most important thing is that uh, Kawhi Leonard needs to assert himself as by far the best player in the series. And in my opinion, he is that in just about any matchup that Toronto will have going through to however far they go um you know i'm a huge Kawhi fan and this regular season that he had was it was it was an interesting regular season in that as you know you know there was the whole load management thing and he missed a bunch of games and uh in terms of just his his peak talent i still think that he's one of the easily one of the five best players in the league and in the world and 
what I'm looking for right now is for him to reassert that now that it's the postseason and not, you know, I'm not saying he's taking, he took plays off during the regular season, but he was not, he was not the same Kawhi Leonard, particularly on the defensive end. So you saw yesterday, he just made some hellacious plays that, uh, you know, really reminded me of who he was and who he used to be and what he's still capable of. So those are the big takeaways I see. And then, you know, just going through the roster real quick, just some other names that have stood out to me. Uh, you know, Pascal Siakam is a true marvel and one of the one of the more interesting. Um, I, I, don't, I don't really know if, it, you know, individual comparisons or battles or whatever you want to say. But one of the more interesting things I like to talk about with uh, you know fellow writers when we're just uh, having conversations is who's better, Pascal Siakam or Ben Simmons. And like the 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 question is, it's it's a very difficult one to answer. I I personally do not know the answer to the question. And there are nights where, after watching Siakam in this series, I'm siding with with Pascal and you know his mid range floater game and his ability to create his own shot in the half court. And you know the three point line used to be a question mark. It's not even close to that anymore. I mean, you don't want to leave this guy open at all. He has all of the, he brings all of the, uh, you know, energetic um, hustle positives still without um, uh, that a role player and an energy hustle player bring without, you know, uh, in, in, his, in his increased high usage role with these bigger minutes. And um, I just love everything about him and what he's done in this series, particularly against a guy like Jonathan Isaac, who's just a terror to go up against. Uh, so uh, those two and how they've played uh, physically against a team that has a very respectable defense uh, individually and collectively has been really, really good to see, I think, if you're a Raptors fan. Yeah, that was uh, that was the feature I wrote after game one was I watched every defensive possession Jonathan Isaac had on Pascal Siakam. And then I also watched every time Pascal Siakam scored the ball. As it turned out, in the second half of Game 1, Pascal Siakam did most of his scoring away from Jonathan Isaac. And when you watch Jonathan Isaac defend him on ball, even though Siakam shot 50% from the field, he didn't get fouled. And Isaac's, like, the way Isaac was able to, like, take away half of the rim, changing, like, um, Siakam's shot location, like, his shoulder slots, where he's releasing the ball from on his layups, adding more arc, just how much more difficult he made it for Siakam and the fact that Siakam didn't just shy away from it, but the Raptors kept going to him and kept, you know, egging him on to take that matchup. It's, it was one of the best things I'd seen. It's, it's kind of gone to the wayside a little bit in the game three and four, but in the first two games, it was one of the most intriguing things that I'd seen for all of the NBA playoffs so far was that that matchup has been incredible. And I guess yeah. uh, getting away from the big takeaways, then is there uh, is there some granular like something that you feel like you have a really good read on in the Raptors series that other people might not notice? Uh, one thing you know, I, I keep jotting down in my notebook is just you know, Marcus Saul's ball screens are ridiculous. Um, yeah, he is clearing out whoever is defending Fred or Kyle or. Uh, or Kawhi, he just clears guys out, forces switches, or if the defense doesn't want to switch, which it, it does not, because, you know, usually um, Nick Vucevic is the guy guarding uh, Gasol, who will be dropping, um, you know, these guys are getting wide open looks. And this is something that I think I'm going to be writing about pretty soon, so I don't want to step on it too much, but Going forward, uh, assuming that the Toronto Raptors face the Philadelphia 76ers in round two, you know, you're going to see you're going to see uh, a lot of those high screens, I think, with Gasol, assuming that Joel Embiid is defending him. And, you know, Embiid does not like being out on the perimeter. He'll switch sometimes, but that's only out of necessity in desperate situations like on high screen rolls. He's going to be in the paint at the free throw line, maybe. And, you know, Kawhi's ability to knock down mid-range shots, Kyle Lowry's ability to knock down pull-up threes, 
particularly those ones in secondary transition. Uh, and then just Fred, I, I, I think he'll be, uh, he'll have uh, an impact in that series as well because of just how uh, deficient Philadelphia is at defending guys exactly like him. Uh, I think Gasol's ball screens are, are going to be just a, a menace for Brett Brown and the Philadelphia 76ers in the next series. Yeah, especially with the Kala Lowry Gasol pick and roll. That's a, a very, very dangerous play type for the 76ers. Especially, I, I find that when I watch the 76ers, Joel Embiid, when he's healthy, I don't mind him being out on the perimeter because even if he does um, get beat, he's usually pretty good when giving chase. But mm-hmm. with his knee, he's obviously, his mobility is a lot more limited. We've seen Joe Harris turn the corner on Joel Embiid a couple times in this series. Things that you wouldn't often see if Joe Harris is getting the corner. And I don't mean anything bad by Joe Harris, but that likely means Kawhi Leonard will as well, or Kyle Lowry. And if you let Kyle Lowry get the corner, start gnashing the pick and roll with Danny Green, Pascal Siakam, maybe one of Fred or um, Norman Powell roaming on the perimeter, it can get really dangerous from behind the line really fast. I guess uh, let's let's go to the Nets 76er series, and then and then we'll get back to how we feel about the Raptors. But Nets 76ers, obviously both the Raptors and the 76ers have to get into the second round to play each other. But is there any, anything that the Nets can do to make sure that the 76ers don't get to the second round to face the Raptors? Hmm. I mean, heading into the series, I thought that it was a really bad matchup uh, for Philly. Uh, just, you know, Russell, Spencer, uh, Levert. Uh, those three are, as you know, you use the word shifty to describe Karis, and I thought that's a really good descriptor. Um, you know, they, the, the Sixers just aren't equipped. They're huge and they're, and they're long and they're physical, but they're not like ideally equipped to defend, uh, to defend guys like that because, uh, you know, they're so easy to attack in that, you know, J.J. Redick needs to be on the court almost at all times or, or, or a ton, especially when Joel Embiid is in the game because there aren't a lot of spacers on Philly's roster. And, and you know, when you want to play Jimmy, Simmons, and Embiid together, that's just, the floor is just so scrunched. So Redick needs to be out there for offensive reasons. But then defensively, you know, you, you small, small screen, and uh, you create switches and, and mismatches, and you can really get downhill and wreak havoc and, and rain threes from beyond the arc. So uh, I, 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 that's, that's a, a, an issue for, for Philly. But at the end of the day, the talent disparity is just so much where arguably the four best players in the series are, are 76ers. And if Joel Embiid uh, is healthy... And can play over 30 minutes. You know, he was a plus 18 in game four. Um, and, you know, a guy who draws double, even triple teams uh, whenever he posts up or even catches in the mid post area. Um, and that's just, it's just too much for them to overcome. And Jared Allen has fought valiantly, but he's just, he's not there. And, and Ed Davis who would still be undersized has been battling an ankle injury and he can't do it. And, you know, they've, they've resorted to, you know, we talked about Jared Dudley a little bit and they resorted to playing him at the five. And that's obviously not the answer. Rondé Hollis Jefferson is obviously not the answer. So, uh, you know, again, I picked Sixers and seven for this series, but I don't, I don't see it getting that far. I thought the the Nets had to win uh, game four and they just, they came up short. Do you think it's uh, six or five? What's your what's your prediction? Five. Yeah, it's tough, five? but yeah, I don't I don't think that I don't think that the Nets are going to win another game in Philly as they did Game One when they kind of shocked a Sixers team that clearly wasn't prepared uh, for the playoffs. And I mean, now that these two teams have really felt each other out, and you know they've they've kind of mitigated ways that you know they can hide JJ a little bit JJ has has done a pretty good job fighting through screens and guys have been protecting him drifting off the perimeter and you know shrinking the floor as much as possible um so I think that adjustment has helped Philadelphia after the 
the the loss that they had in game one when things were really ugly. Uh, I just don't think that the Nets have what it takes, honestly, to win two times in Philadelphia in this series. I, I could be wrong. And, you know, they could go bananas from from deep, which is their only chance. Um, and that's the ultimate variable in, in the NBA playoffs, generally speaking. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, I just, I, I think, you know, it would take Embiid not playing and a lot of different things going, uh, going Brooklyn's way for them to win in game five. Yeah, I agree. So obviously you and I both are, we both like Karis Levert a lot. And in a way, uh, I guess we also highlighted how well Siakam has, has done since having the playoffs and for the first time being a primary ball handler in the playoffs. Both he and Levert have done a really good job of responding to the, the extra heat in the playoffs, let's say. Is there anyone else in the Nets 76ers series that you've been impressed with? I know that the 76ers had a lot of question marks about how they were going to play stylistically coming into this one. Like a Tobias Harris, a Joe Harris, uh, Jared Allen. Is there anybody else you've been really impressed with? Uh, that's Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I mean... I, I I basically covered almost every Nets game in the regular season. So I saw, you know, there's not really anyone in that, on that team who's been particularly surprising to me. Um, I will say, you know, <laughs> I don't want to answer this question with Boban because I just don't. <laughs> um, but Boban, you know, I think it was game two or game, I can't remember which game it was. They all bleed together for me, but... Uh, the game where he just would not miss those, you know, elbow jumpers that the Nets were happy to give him. That was, I mean, I mean him hitting those shots was, I thought, the difference in that in that game. And, uh, you know, uh, Brett Brown has really committed to playing Boban uh, and, and is committed to uh, having him, excuse me, having him execute their drop coverage defensively and you know it's been it hasn't always been the prettiest experiment and i don't think that boban is is someone who can play uh big minutes in the next round for sure uh and he could be he could be philadelphia's undoing um but he's been he's been interesting i mean he's held his own in spots where i wasn't expecting um i, I mean uh, beyond that, I, I, you know, it's like it's tough to say, you know, Tobias has stood out for 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 moments where he's looked good because I, I thought he was an all star in, in L.A. before the trade. Uh, you know, Jimmy Butler is Jimmy Butler. He, he Everything he does does not surprise me at all. Um, he's a fantastic player. Uh, you know, Redick is Redick. So, yeah, I guess I'll just have to settle with Boban. Boban's my answer. That's my guy. Boban's a good enough answer for me. Yeah, uh, Bobby and Toby. I, I'm a subscriber. I like. <laughs> so yeah, I'll I'll definitely take that. Uh, you alluded to something that was very important to the 76ers offense, and obviously with you covering that series, you would notice that the DHOs that let's dribble handoffs. Let's say for if I don't know the lexicon, um, dribble handoffs that Embiid and Redick run a lot of actions above the break on offense, and like you like you alluded to. Redick is paramount to the 76ers' offensive success. Now let's go to the, I guess, the series we're projecting into, 76ers-Raptors. J.J. Redick will have a lot of attention from the Raptors as he's going to be, provided that Joel Embiid is healthy, going to be receiving a lot of DHO opportunities, a lot of opportunities off of pin-downs, hawk screens. Who do you think on the Raptors should be lining up to chase him on the DHOs, on the Hawks screens, on the downs. Who should the Raptors defend J.J. Redick with? I was actually talking about this with somebody the other day. Um, The way that Toronto matches up with Philadelphia will just be fascinating. Um, You know, uh, I think that, you know, off the top of my head, the guy that stands out for this matchup is uh, Danny Green, but I'm not sure necessarily that that's who you want. I mean, you because you need to put Kyle Lowry somewhere. I don't know if you want Kyle Lowry chasing J.J. Redick around. Um, 
and kind of the wear and tear there is 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 concerning but you also need someone who can uh you know bother like if i was if i was nick nurse i don't think that i would be that concerned with putting lowry on someone like tobias or even ben simmons to be honest and uh you know just kind of bait philadelphia into post-ups that they don't want to actually uh go to and access and you know teams have it's a similar thing with the celtics and marcus smart where they put smart on much bigger players and basically dare them to post up and you don't send help and you just force one player to score over another and it just so happens that smart and lowry these guys are like brick walls and you know good luck trying to to uh take advantage of them and their size uh so i i think to answer your question i would start out with danny green on reddick and see what happens there and i I think that you know danny has been an all defensive caliber weapon uh so far but you know what i also like is just their ability to to switch out and, you know, I, I anticipate in those plays that you're referring to where, you know, Reddick starts in the corner and he zips up off a DHO with Embiid at the elbow. I anticipate, you know, Gasol stepping out and, you know, trap and recover is what I, I foresee with rotations along the back line to help against the rolling Embiid because they're so long. And so, you know, you can have Siakam and you can have, uh, even Abaka, if he were to be in the game as well, probably not in this particular scenario, but you could have Kawhi or anyone along the back line to bother Embiid um, and really make him put the ball on the floor, at least for one or two dribbles. I think that that is, uh, that's the answer on those plays. And if you eliminate those plays, then I, I, I you know, Redick is, he, he, he can hurt you in different ways, but that's really the main action that they like to run with him and Embiid. Uh, in the half court setting, and, and I th- just think that Toronto's defense, which has looked so locked in uh, the other night, last night, um, I think that they'll be a nightmare. It'll be a nightmare for them. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said Danny Green because obviously Gasol in the series against the Magic has shut down Vucevic, completely taken away his post up offense. So the Magic have resorted to a lot of those above the break actions for Fournier, Terrence Ross, DJ Augustine. And Danny Green has been so fantastic, top-locking all of those actions, driving whether it be if he's on Fournier, Ross. It's generally been Norm Power Van Vliet on Ross, but any one of the aforementioned players, driving them into the paint so that they have to shoot you know, these crowded mid-range jumpers or that they have to pass out. And like you alluded to as well, that was really um, illuminating, is that you would put Kyle Lowry on Tobias Harris and challenge Tobias Harris to be a creator off the dribble. And not only that, but Tobias Harris hangs out on the weak side a lot of the time, which allows Kyle Lowry to quarterback. And it's kind of, it's not something you hear often, but Kyle Lowry is very, very good at quarterbacking the back of a defense. He's very good at organizing a lot of the rotations. And when you watch the Raptors, especially, like you said again, the the trap and recover that gets involved in and that defense they've been playing a lot of against the Magic. All those things line up very well for the Raptors. And yeah, like you were saying, it's it's an interesting series to project the matchups for because you wouldn't think that a Kyle Lowry-Tobias Harris defensive matchup would be something you'd see, but it very well could be. And uh, if you had to pick between Siakam and Kawhi Leonard, who guards Ben Simmons? Uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, the regular season, from what I remember... You know, Kawhi dominated Ben Simmons, but I'm not sure if those games, I can't recall if those games came, you know, I don't, like, was, maybe you you can remember, but was Jimmy Butler, I'm pretty sure Jimmy was on the Sixers at the time, but I'm not sure if Tobias was. Tobias Um, wasn't, yeah. Okay, so if I were Nick Nurse, I would use Kawhi Leonard as Greg Popovich used to in playoff series, where... I would stick him on, uh, you know, maybe not the number one option of the other team, but the number two guy. And I would just completely, I would, I would t- say, hey, Kawhi, erase this person from the series. And that is what mm-hmm. makes Kawhi such an impressive player. You know, if they were to go up against the Bucks in the conference finals, I would, I would much rather have Kawhi 
just obliterate Chris Middleton than defend Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, that's that's just that, that that's I think that that's the smart play there. Um, so I would have you know I, I think I would have Kawhi take away you know with with the Sixers the hierarchy is very uncertain beyond. Embiid, you know, so I would personally have Kawhi probably just take out Jimmy Butler because I think he's uh, a more effective, uh, you know, playmaker for them, and and he, he gets guys going a little bit better than than Tobias than Tobias can. Um, so that would probably be just off the top of my head thinking about it. That's who I would put Kawhi on. Um, but you know, I, Ka- Pascal is also just, you know, he's arguably had a better defensive season than Kawhi has. Uh, so you can't really go wrong with, with anyone. I, I mean, like their defense is just such a monster. Yeah, totally. And uh, I guess one thing before we get into the, this will be, maybe you can give a, a decently long answer for this before we get into Twitter questions is any, like any big takeaways from your favorite team, the Celtics, their series against Indiana and adversely the Bucks versus the Pistons they're likely going to match up and <clears throat> sorry excuse me and then what problems would either of those teams cause for the Raptors provided that the Raptors get to the Eastern Conference Finals hmm yeah good qu- good question um I guess I'll start with the Celtics and one of the interesting things coming out of that series is just, you know, without, you know, heading into the regular season, I should let me back up heading into the regular season, you know, the Celtics, one of the big plot points there was, you know, everyone wanted to see the Kyrie Jalen Tatum Hor- Hayward Horford lineup. And, 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 you know, it, it become Boston's version of golden state's death lineup where you basically have, you know, you're small, but your five man can protect the rim and do all these different things to make up for that lack of size while also spacing the floor and facilitating on the break. So uh, that, that, that lineup was supposed to be, you know, the, the, the tip of the spear for Boston this season. And it obviously has not been, uh, you know, it, it, it's played, I think, uh, after the first month of the regular season, once Boston moved Gordon Hayward to the bench, that lineup has played, I think, eight minutes, which is just an absolutely ridiculous stat. Uh, and in the first round, we saw that lineup, you know, with Marcus Smart out with his oblique injury, we saw that lineup 13 minutes, and it was actually very impressive against the Indiana Pacers, a team that is disciplined defensively. Um, you know, they obviously struggle to score, but uh, you know, they're very disciplined defensively. They forced a ton of turnovers in that series, and they had pretty you know, they had some success. Um, I think that Boston's ultimate ceiling will be decided by the success of, of that lineup. And, you know, that lineup is kind of a nightmare for, it's been a nightmare in the past or, or versions of it have been a nightmare in the past for the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, Just playing Horford at the five, generally speaking, you know, running, high pick and roll with Kyrie and Horford is just such a, you know, I tweet this so much whenever the Celtics play and they go to it, but that, that high pick and roll is just so difficult to stop when you go to it over and over again. Um, There's really no obvious answer there. Um, But, you know, a team like the Raptors, they have such, it depends on who they decide to put, you know, who they decide to put on, Kyrie, I would imagine that, that you'll see a ton of Danny Green on Kyrie should those two teams face off against one another. Um, and then you can switch that and you'll, you'll try to see, you know, if Danny Green can hold up uh, in the post with, with Horford kind of barreling in from the perimeter, that'll be just a really interesting thing to see, um, you know, with, with, with Toronto swarming help defenders crowding Horford and, and then, you know, kickouts and who's going to make threes. It's just, it's all so fascinating to me. Um, so that's the big thing for me. And, you know, the Celtics having success with Horford at the five, as opposed to playing him with someone like Aaron Baines or even Daniel Tice. Uh, that's, I think the, the ultimate, uh, the ultimate bellwether for Boston as they go through the playoffs. And, uh, you know, I, I think some teams are better, 
equipped to match up with it than others. And I think that Toronto is, is one of those teams. Totally. And so I guess just as a quick before we go to the break, I think it sounds like you think the Raptors match up very well with the 76ers. And I think you, if I were to ask you, you'd probably, well, who, who wins that series between the 76ers and the Raptors? I would, I would be pretty confident in Toronto in that series. Uh, I don't know how long it goes. I'm just, I, I think that Toronto is so much more versatile. They have so many more capable weapons off the bench. You know, even a guy like Norm Powell, Norm, like the, the Sixers have no one who's even close to as good as Norm Powell. Like, <laughs> and that's just, that's kind of the, the, uh, the fatal flaw of their roster design and how they've been constructed. Uh, you know, they don't have a lot of two-way wings who can defend capably on the perimeter, switch, be physical, uh, keep their guy in front of them while also knocking down open shots and maybe even attacking a closeout or two. You know, James Ennis is not the answer for them. It's a reason. There's a reason why Daryl Morey got rid of James Ennis because he can't defend um, in space, as we've seen in the net series. So... Uh, yeah, I would I would definitely lean towards the Raptors as as heavy favorites in that series, and uh, you know that's one of the reasons they got Marcus All. Uh, I would imagine to to bother Embiid and not necessarily have to double as much as other teams have to. So yeah, I just I I really like uh, I like Toronto in that series. So who is Toronto playing in the Eastern Conference Finals then? The Bucks or the Celtics? I, my, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, my, uh, my gut instinct, to be honest with you, just as a basketball analyst, uh, is like 5149 Boston. And I say that because I think the Celtics are able to play Brooke Lopez off the floor in a way that completely alters how the Milwaukee Bucks want to play basketball on both ends. So if you can get Brooke Lopez off the floor, that just, I mean, he's obviously a devastating, uh, a devastating spacer. You know, if you've seen any, any of the Bucks Pistons series, what he's doing to Andre Drummond is just embarrassing. Um, and I don't think he'll be able to do that against the Celtics for a variety of reasons. I think defensively, you're not going to be able to drop against this team. They have too many guys who love the pull-up jumper, love pull-up threes. Al Horford is a pick-and-pop guy who will shoot you to death. Uh, so so that's, that's kind of why I'm leaning towards Boston. And Boston just has a lot of... Uh, they have a lot of discipline and transition, which is how Giannis really wants to kill you. And they have big guys who are strong who can uh, keep him at bay and force him to shoot as they did last year. Granted, last year, you know, they had Jabari Parker <laughs> instead of Brooke Lopez on the floor and, and different spacers. And Eric Bledsoe was a total minus in that series and still went to seven. So I think that I, I just think they're really. They're, they're evenly matched more so than a lot of people, I think, anticipate based on what we saw in the regular season. And, you know, it could come down to home court being the difference, um, in which case, obviously, Milwaukee would, would, would eke it out. But I, 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 I just think that uh, I think that Kyrie is a difference maker in crunch time against just about any team in the league, any system in the league. Um, and the way Gordon Hayward has played of late, the way Jason Tatum has played of late, uh, I, I, I'm slightly siding with the Celtics. Yeah. The Celtics, for me, is obviously Kyrie is able to score, I guess, at when it comes to the most important time of the game. I think that he's one of the players. Players would choose him. Analysts would choose him. If you need a bucket, he's likely going to give it to you. That is one of the most important things in the playoffs. And also, like you alluded to, Al Horford can play Brooke Lopez off the floor in a unique way. And of the Brooke Lopez, Marcus Gasol, Joel Embiid, Al Horford of the top four teams in the East, Al Horford is by far the most unique. And he provides problems for the Raptors, 
the Bucks, the 76ers that just they they can't be replicated by any of the other top four teams or any other top three teams. So yeah, I totally get why the Celtics might be a team that you choose, especially since they they haven't hit their I guess uh, hypothetical ceiling or even sniffed it yet. So I totally get that. And, and uh, maybe if we get there, I'm sure we can come back and have a, a long conversation about what a, a Raptors-Celtics uh, series would look like. For now, uh, we'll do the, the ad break, and then uh, we'll get into the Twitter questions afterwards. I'm Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Injury Lawyers. Accidents happen, and when they do, you'll want a lawyer who will stand up to the insurance company and fight for your rights. In case of emergency, have this name in your back pocket. Goldfinger. Brian Goldfinger. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. Welcome back to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. Your host, Samson Folk here with Michael Pina of SB Nation. And we're going to actually be answering some Twitter questions that you guys asked. A tweet was sent out and you responded under it. Nicholas Henry at N2Henry asks, who would be your team of the first round of the playoffs? I'm guessing this is uh, a top five. Who's, who's the top five best players of the first round so far, in your opinion? Who are the top five best players? Of the first round. So let's say if James Harden, if his three for 20 game uh, knocks him out of the top five so far, then uh, of the first round, let's say, then let's say he's not in it. But it's your choice, of course. Um, hmm. First of all, I would, I think I would, but I still have James Harden in the top five. That's an interesting that's an interesting question. I, I uh, whatever. I'm gonna. <laughs> I, I, still have, <laughs> I still have James in the top five, even though, um, yeah, that was a brutal, uh, a brutal shooting performance to start game three. Um, still finished with 22 and 10 though, and six steals uh, and the W. Yeah, he's but, awesome. But he 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 is incredible. Um, I I gotta throw out. Uh, I gotta throw it Dame Lillard. Um. He's just thoroughly outplaying Russell Westbrook, in my opinion, in a way that uh, really shows the contrast between those two guys and their values to their respective organizations. I would take Dame in a heartbeat over Russ, and it's not even close, in my opinion. Um, and he's really showing why. Uh, you know, some of the daggers that he hit in the third quarter yesterday uh, were just like, like eye watering. He, he is. He's so great, and I'm really happy for for him and and just the Portland organization for you know all the hardship they've gone through, and it looks like they have somewhat I don't want to say an easy path, but once they get past Oklahoma City, which feels inevitable, uh, you know the path to the conference finals where just about anything could happen in terms of health. Um, is pretty open for them. I like them. I mean, I like them over Denver and I, I actually like San Antonio in that series. So that'll be really interesting. So yeah, keep it short. Um, I, I like Dame. Uh, I like Kawhi. We, we've talked plenty about him. Uh, he's just, in my opinion, the best player in the Eastern conference and he's showing it uh, in this series against a really good defensive team. Um, how many is that? Says three guys, like two more. Dame Kawhi, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll throw Giannis in there out of respect for him and just how he's thoroughly annihilated the De- the Detroit Pistons. And then uh, I told you that I like to be as objective as possible, but I'm gonna just have Kyrie as my number five and 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 leave yeah. Kevin Durant off the list. Yeah, that, yeah, that's totally okay. Uh, speaking to you. Their Dame selection. It is a little bit. It's disappointing that the Warriors exist because otherwise, it seems like there's a path to the NBA Finals for Damian Lillard to pioneer the Blazers there, and that's a very fun NBA. I think like where one of Giannis, Kyrie, Kawhi, Damian Lillard, James Harden can all take their team to a championship. Whereas it seems like this year it's going to be Steph and KD doing their thing again. But yeah, that's a pretty good five. I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, I guess the next question let's get to. Chris Petre at Petre underscore 29. 
Is there a better player at taking charges than Kyle Lowry in NBA history? <laughs> in NBA uh, history. I like it's it's weird to be I guess um a prolific charge taker. You know, it's uh it's not something that kids grow up wanting to be. Uh who was the oh, he was an Ohio uh Aaron Kraft, the Ohio State guard. I remember sure. that was like his his calling card in college, but he never he's never prolific in the NBA. I don't know who it would be. Um Boogie Boogie was really good at it um Oof. for a very long time. Uh, I mean I don't <laughs> Just like going off the top of my head here, like the guy who is really annoyingly great at it is your son Ilyasova, who like recently oh leads the league. <laughs> yeah. Um I'd throw him in there. Um I think the rule whenever I watch him take a charge, I think the rules should be just completely changed because it's like anytime a guy goes out of their way to take a charge, it's just like a dangerous play. Like I don't it's not good I I, I don't like it. <laughs> like I will say, you know, strategically, Kyle Lowry took a charge uh, in yesterday's game on Jonathan Isaac. That was his third foul that took him out of the game and kind of tilted the 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 winning percentage in Toronto's favor dramatically. I thought like that type of charge is really interesting to me and really useful. But some of the charges Ilyasova has taken over the years are just like, dude, come on. Um, I will say, even on the even on Toronto's like a. Uh, uh, like Kyle Lowry's teammate, Marcus All, he takes some yeah. charges, man. Like he's he's got that down pat. Um, I guess among guys who are retired, just off the top of my head again, Scotty Pippen, when I was growing up watching him take charges, he was really good at it. Uh, and now he like has a terrible back, so that's you know, that's why you don't <laughs> take charges. Um but uh, yeah, uh, in NBA history is probably going a stretch, but there aren't too many guys right now at that position who do it more fearlessly, I would say, than Kyle Lowry. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you as well as how I look at charges. And it's, it is strange to look at because when I play basketball, like if I'm playing a league game or something like that, and somebody takes a charge, and you know they just wanted to take the charge. They're not like playing good defense. You're you're a little bit annoyed at it. But being a Toronto Raptors fan, <laughs> when I watch Kyle Lowry do it, I feel like it's you know, it's a divine process. Like, oh yes, he's done it again. Like Matt and Jack, the announcers, like it's like they're giving a sermon when they talk about it. But then, like you think about it in a nutshell, you're just like. That is not basketball. Like, what am I watching? Like, Kyle Lowry's doing his best to have another man fly at him out of control and just smash into him. And that's and and then in the game, that's very effective. It's a strange thing. But yeah, being a Raptors fan, obviously, well, a Raptors analyst, let's say, let's give myself a pat on the back there. Uh, <laughs> watching, you know, you have to cheer and analyze Marcus All and. Kyle Lowry do it I mean it starts to look like you know it's a sprinkle of genius when in reality if I watch like any other player do it to Raptors player I'm like oh my god can you just defend him please like stop flopping everywhere the fan comes out and me uh anyway yeah I don't know who does it better than Lowry in NBA history but I'm sure there's somebody last question and then uh we'll let you go one trade a day that's the guy's name. <sighs> if you had to choose an eight-player rotation for the Raptors for the rest of the playoffs, assuming OG is okay coming back from his appendicitis, who would you go with? Uh, do you have uh, any specific Raptors rotation takes, or would you like me to, to do this one? Uh, so, I mean, what's really interesting about Toronto, I think, is how often they've leaned on their starting five in this series. I believe that I looked this up this morning, uh, 40%, just about 40% of their total minutes have gone with, uh, with, uh, the starting five, uh, that unit on the court, which is pretty impressive and leads all teams. Um, so from there, I mean, I'd have, uh, you know, I'd have Ibaka as the backup five and, I would have Fred 
uh, as the backup one and who starts second quarters beside uh, Lowry and uh, Pascal. I really like how that's happened. Um, uh, you know, Pascal's probably playing too many minutes, but I, I like how Nick Nurse has not really messed around with with other guys and, you know, uh, just to play them. Um, I I don't know if I'm OG's interest. I, I don't know if OG is the answer there. He might be the obvious eighth guy. What What are your thoughts? You you know the team better than I do. I like OG a lot, especially when watching the last game, game four. Pascal Siakam for the first time in this series played less than thirty seven minutes. It's the one game he even played forty three. I think that was game three, the one in which he had thirty points. It was incredible, but. You, you have to give Pascal a little bit of a break. I know he's an absolute workhorse and his hustle, his, I guess, intangibles are terrific, but you don't want to play him from the first round on 42 minutes a game. You just, and OG, the way the Raptors have constructed their roster, Masai Ujiri, let's say, they, OG has been operating as the de facto backup power forward for most of the season. And that has been, Tough for him to transition to, but good for the Raptors because it allows, you know, it allows the Raptors to play more of those two guard lineups that they like. And also, I mean, I don't think we're very far removed from OG Ananobi hitting a game tying three in the seconds in the second round against the Cavs in game three before LeBron launched that stupid one like one like floater. I like Stuff like that. But OG hit the three-pointer to tie the game prior to that. He's He was awesome last year. He's had a very turbulent year with the death of his father and injury problems and a lot of stuff for himself. But I, I think OG could really, really come back strong if he was allowed to take the eighth-man spot in the rotation. So I put OG ahead of Norm. But I don't think Nurse has to be particularly obtuse in choosing one over the other. If I had to choose eight people, it would be the starting five, and, and then Ibaka, Van Vliet, and OG, provided that OG were healthy. But luckily for Nurse, he doesn't have to strictly run just eight guys. He can go to Norman Powell if Norman Powell needs to come off the bench and chase J.J. Redick, something like that. Or if Tobias Harris is uniquely advantageous against the Raptors, OG is the guy to guard him with. I mean, I wrote a feature on him, and I think he guarded like 90 possessions combined against Ben Simmons, LeBron James, Karis LeVert, and one other superstar who I can't think of, but it only resulted in six attempted shots. OG as a team defender, long way to go, but if you need to throw him out there to defend a guy and do a really good job, he's fantastic. So there's there's value in Norman Powell and OG. So you don't really have to go to any man rotation even if that's not so great and now's the time to let you go so you can get back to your life and uh <laughs> and, <laughs> and start writing stuff that's you know more important and uh far more concise than me on this podcast <laughs> so we'll let you go uh feel free to plug anything that you want to uh, tell the people about yourself uh yeah, just I guess follow me on on Twitter at Michael V Pina, and that's where I tweet all my work. And uh, uh, also, if you would like to uh, subscribe and listen to the my own podcast, the Winning Plays podcast, um, that would be cool too. Uh, but that's that's about it. And thank you so much for having me, man. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it's been a blast. Uh, you've you've been able to talk a lot more granular than uh, most, I think, league-wide guys I find are able to. So that's been that's been awesome. We've been able to get into the, the devil in the details. So this has been great. Yeah, I watch too much basketball, that's why. <laughs> Never too much. Not until, you know, you find that the rest of your life and your social network is falling apart. But, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's our favorite thing. So we're going to cover it, we're going to write about it, we're going to play it. Anyway, man, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, for everybody listening, I hope you have a great day. Have a blessed day and uh, take care. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? 
Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.